Please take your Bible or one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 18, we'll be looking at verses 21 through 35. What is titled in the ESV is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. As with the parables at this time, Jesus was on his second tour of Galilee and he was teaching in parables. Parables that reveal hidden realities about the kingdom of heaven. He was masterfully using these short fictional stories to reveal these kingdom secrets to those who had faith and would listen. These parables were not allegories, but relatable illustrations that the people in his time and place would understand and that Now we come to understand. So let us pay sincere attention to God's word as we read it together. Matthew 18, 21 through 35, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it reads, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Lord, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. In the name of Christ, 
who through his actions brings the ministry of the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Sitting in a station wagon on January 23rd, 1999, a father and his two young sons were surrounded by militant Hindus and burned. The militants kept them from leaving the vehicle and stopped anyone from trying to rescue them for over an hour as they sang and danced around the vehicle. The father's name is Graham Staines. His two sons were Timothy and Philip, and they went to see their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that day, leaving behind a widow, Gladys, and a young daughter named Esther. You see, the Staines were a missionary family, spreading the gospel in India for 20 years. And it didn't stop at 20 years. Because profoundly, after the death of Graham, Timothy, and Philip, Gladys and Esther continued the ministry for another five years. This is what Gladys Staines had to say. I am terribly upset, but not angry. My husband loved Jesus Christ, who has taught us to forgive our enemies. And today, with this parable, I'd like to address just two truths. Firstly, that Christian forgiveness has no limits. Christian forgiveness has no limits. And lastly, an unforgiving heart is unforgiven. An unforgiving heart is unforgiven. With the main point being that we should forgive others as God has forgiven us. So firstly, Christian forgiveness has no limits. Our passage today starts with Peter's question. But before we get to that question, if you do a quick sweep of Matthew 18 with your eyes, you'll notice that the chapter starts with Christ calling a child to himself to use as an illustration to the disciples. He tells them that they need to humble themselves like children before God and that this childlike humility found in the faithful needs to be protected and needs to be respected. Then in verses 10 through 14 of Matthew 18, Christ uses the parable of the lost sheep to express God's love for those with a childlike faith and a childlike humility. That even when they go astray, he'll seek them out like a shepherd leaves the flock to find the lost sheep. His love for his children knows no bounds. And then in verses 15 through 20, Christ expresses how children of God should love one another when sin tries to wedge between them and God's assembly, the church. How, if necessary, the whole church should love a sinful individual with the hopes of bringing them to repentance. Even if they shouldn't repent and must no longer be a member of the assembly, perhaps in the future, they'll be welcomed back if they're repentant of their sin. And the church is to make sure they understand you are forgiven 
and you are loved. And it is after this that in verse 21, Peter asks his question. Now, his question is specifically about the forgiveness of brothers and sisters of the faith. But remember that scripture clearly tells us to be loving and forgiving of all people. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty five, to forgive if you have anything against anyone. As we prayed together moments ago in Matthew six twelve, God, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And in Luke six thirty seven, Christ tells two things not to do and one thing that we should do. He says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be, you will be forgiven. So he tells us not to make ourselves the judge, the one who deals out condemnation, because that is God's job. He's the only one who's qualified. That's not to say that we shouldn't carry out God's commands, which includes loving and gentle rebuke and correction among Christ's church. But it does mean that we don't write people off and refuse to give them forgiveness. God is the one who has decided who will and won't have forgiveness in his ways that we don't know. But what we do know is that it is our job to obey him, to pass on that forgiveness he's given to us, to others, so that they can come to know God's eternal forgiveness as well. So two things, how often should we forgive and how great is the forgiveness that we should have for others? So first, how often should we forgive? Well, Christ illustrates that perfectly back in our passage in Matthew 18. Peter asked, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And then he boldly asks, as many as seven times? This is a bold question because the self-righteous Jewish leaders in their context would have told them to only forgive a brother up to three times. It's based off of some Old Testament passages, a misunderstanding. So here, Peter more than doubles the expected amount of forgiveness. And then, of course, Christ takes it even further with 77 times, or in some translations, 70 times 7. Now, whether it's 77 times or 490 times, the point that Christ is making is that Christian forgiveness doesn't have a limit on the amount of times that it's given. You don't stop forgiving at 78 or the 491st offense. Christ is saying, don't stop forgiving others for their sin. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, 5, Christ-like love doesn't keep a record of wrongs suffered, and it isn't resentful. So even if you want to try to keep a tally of sin between you and another brother, and believe me, as a fellow sinner, it is tempting to do sometimes. The Bible tells us that keeping a record of sins isn't loving. What is loving is forgiveness. And the forgiveness has no limit in how often it is given. So that's how often the forgiveness of God should pour out of us into this world. And thankfully, Christ also illustrates how great the Christian forgiveness is. 10,000 talents. 
The king in this parable is settling his accounts with the servants, and he decides to have one of his servants, along with the servant's family, all their possessions, to be sold, as well as the payments still to be made. Why such a harsh sentence? Again, I say, harsh sentence? 10,000 talents. What does that mean? Well, I had the privilege to preach a sermon here on the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And in that parable, an extremely fair wage for a day's work was one denarius. Extremely fair. One day of work, one denarius. And how many denarii make one talent? 6,000. Well, this servant owed 10,000 talents. So if he worked six days a week for a very fair wage of one denarius a day, he would have worked, he would have had to work 192,307 years to pay his debt. 10,000 talents. So what does he do? He falls to his knees and begs, telling the king that he's going to pay him back. 10,000 talents. Can we relate? We look at the world, corrupt nations, corrupt politicians, corrupt leaders, a world corrupted by sin, young men and women sent to die in bloody wars for fleeting purposes, missionaries burned holding their children, oppression of the poor and the starving, the sexual trafficking of men, women, and children, the never-ending flood of drugs into societies and the evil groups that use them for power, the worship and acceptance of false gods across the world, idols, and the demonic powers that lurk behind them. 10,000 talents. We look at our culture, building, there's buildings in our city where women can bring a living child in their womb and walk in and walk out differently. There's sex and lust in every direction you turn that only feed the fire. Drug overdoses, drunk drivers, manslaughter, murder, laws that promote sin, schools that promote sin, protests that promote sin, gang violence, theft, intimidation, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, racism, every kind of sexual immorality from the activity to the identity, 10,000 talents. We look at ourselves. Impurity, sensuality, drunkenness, enmity, strife, jealousy, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy, all found in the desires of our flesh. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander, as we just spoke in our memory verse. We've all had hearts that sought false gods. We have all had hearts that participated in idolatry or had murderous emotions or actions or had adulterous emotions or actions. We've all taken the Lord's name in vain. We've all refused to set aside time for the Lord. We've all dishonored our parents. We've all lied. We've all stolen. We've all coveted. None of us is righteous. None of us is, none of us understood. None of us sought after God. We had turned aside. Together we had become worthless. None of us were good. Not even one. Our throats were open graves, our tongues were deceptive, and the venom of snakes were under our lips. Our mouths were full of curses and bitterness. Our feet 
We're swift to shed blood. Our paths were ruin and misery, and we didn't know the way of peace. There was no fear of God before our eyes. Ten thousand talents. Forgiven. Forgiven. The king looked at the servant and felt pity. The servant was released and his debt was forgiven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. It's John three sixteen through 18. And then Isaiah 1, 18 through 19. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Christian, this is the kind of forgiveness that lives in your heart. A forgiveness that towers over us, whose immense power receives the never-ending praise of far, far more than 123 million football fans. This is the kind of forgiveness that shows our friends, our family, our enemies, our neighbors, ourselves, the unsearchable mercy, grace, and love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of His Holy Spirit. You have been forgiven by God of all your debt and of all your sinful offenses. Therefore, in, in, this, in this limitless quantity and this limitless quality of forgiveness, show the same forgiveness toward others for the much, much smaller debts, sinful debts that they owe you. Jesus died and rose again to show you the way of forgiveness and praise God as often as you remember and share his forgiveness as often as you face the opportunity. Because this world is an unforgiving place. It's very unforgiving. So spite the devil by shoving his hate right back into his face and show them Christ. His victory and your freedom in him. And then lastly, an unforgiving heart is unforgiven. As Christ's parable continues in Matthew 18:28 through 30, the forgiven servant went out and seized, choked, and took to prison a fellow servant who owed him as far as my calculations go who owed him 0.000167% of what he himself had owed the king. The servant fell down and pleaded, asking for patience, just like he had. 
but he showed him no mercy. In verse 31, the other servants who saw this were greatly distressed. This was a horrible thing to witness, a great injustice. The complete opposite of what we just saw from the king. So the servants went and reported it to their master, the king, all that had taken place. The king was furious, as he should be, and summoned the unforgiving servant and said at verse 32, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then he delivered him over to the prison until he should pay all of his debt, a.k.a. for the rest of his life. Remember, parables aren't allegories. This parable is not telling us that we can be forgiven by God and then lose our salvation if we are unforgiving to others. This parable isn't telling us that we earn our forgiveness by being forgiving of others. But Christ is pointing out to us with this illustrative parable that an unforgiving heart is also itself unforgiven. Because people... Christians who are given the inscrutable, insurmountable forgiveness of God through the sacrifice and victory of Christ do not turn around and spread unforgiveness toward others. Christians produce good fruit, not bad fruit. Our God is gracious to give us forgiveness, to give forgiveness to those who don't deserve it, and is equally righteous God is equally righteous to condemn those who refuse to give it. This unforgiving servant deserved to pay the debt he owed, and the debt he owed represents the just and righteous baptism of fire, as John the Baptist called it, the baptism of fire in hell. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3, 11 through 12, I baptize, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, Christians, and fire, non-Christians. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Remember, parables teach us about the kingdom of heaven. When the kingdom of heaven finally comes in its fullness, there will be a separation. Hell is a real place, and those with unforgiving hearts go there forever, separated from God and all the goodness that he wishes, that he desires to bestow on those who would humble themselves before him. So we must be on our guard. We face the threat and the temptation of unforgiveness all around us. Maybe you don't notice it sometimes. It's there. Satan and sin are dividing the dark world. Our leaders are split. Our people are being manipulated and divided into an endless number of group identities that by design cannot live in harmony. And we as individuals are constantly being taught that our needs, our truth, and our selfish desires are the center of the universe. We are even being tempted to be unforgiving of ourselves. God forgives us and we turn around and flog ourselves emotionally with the whip of our pride. 
We seize and choke ourselves as we struggle to fall asleep thinking of all of our past sins that haunt us. Accept what Christ has done for you. Forgive others and forgive yourself as well. Repent and forgive. Evil is threatened by God's forgiveness. It wants to drag to hell every last person it can who will forsake God's forgiveness for their own selfish unforgiveness. Every last one of us who does not forgive, as it says at the end of the parable, who does not forgive our brother from our heart will be cast into the fire. So loved ones, don't have a faith that is in vain because don't, don't have a faith that's in vain for the reason of holding grudges, for the reason of pretending in pride to tower over others with self-righteousness, for the reason of holding on to immense pain and suffering that you've experienced instead of putting it at the foot of the cross of Christ. Forgive your friend. Forgive your child. Forgive your parent. Forgive your family. Forgive your boss. Forgive your coworkers. Forgive the person who broke your heart. Forgive the one who makes you suffer. Forgive the president. Forgive the fast food worker. Forgive the person in the mirror. Forgive everyone as God forgave you. Let God be the judge. He's better at it than you are. He's better at it than all of us are. Instead, you forgive. Help bring others to repentance. Reconcile. And do so quickly. Because the days are evil. Every moment that passes without forgiveness is a moment of danger for you. Don't be an unforgiving servant. Don't put yourself in the crosshair of justice. As Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The living God who says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Remember, an unforgiving heart is unforgiving. So in closing, as you go out in this God-given week, know and live the forgiveness of God. If you are an unbeliever, remember 10,000 talents. God will forgive anyone who follows Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Simply respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction of your sin, your sin that's not helping you at all. It's hurting you, it's dragging you down, down to hell. Confess of that sin, repent, turn away toward Christ. Repent of it before God. Then look to the Christians around you. All these Christians who have tasted the inscrutable and insurmountable forgiveness of God. They'll show you the way of Christ in his holy word. Open up his holy word. Read it. They'll help you. They better. And Christians, remember that Christian forgiveness has no limits. The forgiveness in you is limitless in quantity and quality. And remember the astonishing power of God's forgiveness when you became a Christian and every single day since. And give it to others quickly, give it to others willingly, give it to others zealously, to everyone, including yourself. Be forgiving and forgiven servants. Be forgiving and forgiven servants that can one day stand before the Lord and be called by him good and faithful.